0: Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you're just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Fred Joyle, speaker, author, business coach on Superpower of Boldness. Fred, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing awesome today, Yuri. Thanks for having me on. That's phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining me. This is wonderful. So, I know I gave a, a quick little, you know, blurb
0: about you, but how do you describe yourself and what you do? Uh, at my very core, I am a writer. Uh, and but it has blossomed out into being an entre- entrepreneur and a public speaker and and now uh, an executive coach for CEOs and, and emerging businesses and, and large businesses uh, having run a business for 30 years an advertising business essentially yeah. uh, and, and uh, a bon vivant. <laughs> I've, 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 I live a, an adventurous life. Uh, I've been to 44 different countries. I've met all sorts of amazing, interesting people, tried all sorts of wild and interesting things along the way, and had a very satisfying, fulfilling life that I believe I'm halfway through because I plan to live well past 150. Not that I'm 75, but you know. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. For those people doing instant division, I just wanted to clear that. Right. And I, I appreciate that, too. All right. So before, before we get in,
1: break down a lot of those areas, I want to backtrack a little bit and start from the beginning. So you originally studied at Boston College and the University of Rhode Island um, creative writing. So why did you initially want to study creative writing?
0: because uh, there was a lot of independent studies that I could do, uh, and so it allowed me to be very free. I had completed all my core competency, well, core requirements, core competencies as well, uh, In in uh, <laughs> debatable on the competency, but it, at Boston College, and then I took four years off because I was wasting my time in college. I was a psychology major, and I said, like, this, does, this isn't what I thought it was at all. and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not enjoying this. It was like, it was all cognitive psych and all the, you know, like Skinner this and, you know, Maslow that. And uh, uh, eventually I just went like, this doesn't apply to the real world that much. I, I need that. So I moved into the real world and bummed around for four years. Mm-hmm. And then finally went back to the University of Rhode Island and I could really study whatever I wanted. So I studied French and creative writing. And uh, it was my first exposure to really immersing myself into to writing and subjecting myself to really good critique. I, I had a pretty a, a good series of professors and one who was absolutely nuts. And I think clinically bipolar based on the, his later behavior. But his, he somehow triggered all sorts of really creative things in me Mm-hmm. partly because of the way he free associated. He was obviously clearly intelligent and he would, I would get my stuff back from him and he, he would like have slashed through it all over the place. And it, it really got me over that editing process of like, mm-hmm. stop thinking everything that came out of my mouth was perfect or out of my typewriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and that eventually, led me to the advertising world uh, because I, you know, I wanted like everybody that moved to Los Angeles, which is what I eventually did. I I wanted to write screenplays. Mm. And so it didn't, I, I, I met people who had written screenplays, including uh, the guy who had gotten the Oscar for the movie ghost. He couldn't give away his next script. He, he was just, starving and I thought yes starving is not on the on the plan so uh you know and at the time there were a hundred thousand scripts a year registered with the Screen Actors Guild there's probably 300,000 now to produce 40 movies a year so I saw this as like uh I, I need to find a way to earn a living writing and I walked into an ad agency a friend of mine was a storyboard artist and he brought me into his agency one day and it was an epiphany Mm -hmm. it's like these are my people this I could do this for a living because part of it is I was not a particularly good employee because I didn't like having I had authority issues and and boredom issues and stuff like that and so when I saw advertising I said oh this this is it I, I, I want to, how do I get into this? And so the general manager who, who was just my first real mentor basically said, I'm not going to give you a job. You have to go to this night school. Now, this was the greatest gift of timing. Mm-hmm. They they had a night school taught by creative directors on how to write advertising. So oh. you, these were working guys and yeah. women who just, they honed my craft day after day for six months. And then I, I, when I went to an interview with my spec portfolio, got a job the first, the first day, first interview. And that was, that was the beginning of everything for me to, to get into that world. And because I had, I, I'm going, rambling on about all the detail, but I'm, I, I got, I, because I had worked in so many businesses in my bumming around years and even through college and stuff, I really understood business from the owner's perspective. Mm -hmm. So I was much better at writing advertising that worked for them, that got them results rather than made my portfolio look really clever and creative. So they would bring me as a junior copywriter, they would bring me into these meetings with these big guys and, and I could relate to them and they, they really liked me. And I, I wrote stuff that they really liked. and, And so it really advanced me. Yeah so that was really the beginning of, of of my life as a, you know, as a satisfied with what I was doing every day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, it's interesting
1: to hear that, that your, you know, ex- experiences in between school really helped your later career. Cause I know a lot of um, individuals feel like, you know, if you're not either studying or, or working on, let's say whatever your, your craft is that, Maybe that's not, you know, helping you in the future, but it's great to hear that every experience that you've had also helped later, you know, improve your relationship with with future employers. So how long were you working as a a copywriter and what was your next step?
0: So it was about three years in the agency and I, I had done really well. Like I said, they threw a lot of clients at me and so that was, and I ended up writing a lot of TV and a lot of radio. I mm-hmm. didn't get, you know, just here write some copy for this catalog and, and a box cover and stuff. So it was great that I that I got challenged. And the the beauty of advertising, it, particularly in broadcast, is it's got to work in 29 and a half seconds or 59 mm-hmm. and a half seconds. So you got a frame to work in. And, and that was another lesson is when you it's not the infinity setting on what you get to create it's like it's got to work in this arc from start to finish and sell that was that was really a good lesson in discipline and and art refinement Mm -hmm. and and so but the career arc in the advertising business was horrible and I was yeah. watching it happen. It's a, you know, like you swoop up and start making good money, then great money, then outrageous money. Then they lay you off at 50 and, and you're in the bread line. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you go client side for a fifth of what you were making before. And okay. I watched it happen to three different guys. And I said, I can't do this. I don't want to be uh, on this track. So I, I, I thought I got to start my own business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and somebody had paid me to write a screenplay on the side. So, so I said, look, I don't think this will sell because I knew it wouldn't. Um, so I charged him $30,000 to write the screenplay because he didn't know how to write. And he had read a couple of screenplays that I had written and not sold. And so he wanted me to do it. And so I had had some buffer money. And then a friend of mine also wanted to work with me. And we just started this company called 1-800-DENTIST Mm because another guy had the phone number that we Mm. knew, who didn't want to work, but he licensed us the phone number. And and he had a general idea of what it could be as a business, but he said, you work in advertising, you should be able to turn this into something. Mm -hmm. So that was the next big step, is we basically created this entire business based on my advertising experience. We bought all our own media, which I had learned a lot about by just hanging around in the agency. I created all the, the radio and then TV spots, and my partner was a great salesman and we just, and we had to set up a phone room and stuff like that. It turned yeah. into the largest uh, dentist referral service in the country. Over 30 years, we generated a billion dollars in revenue, it, you know, over aggregated over 30 years, which is way more than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> because we were just like, oh, if we could just make a hundred grand a year, that'd be fabulous. Um, but it just blossomed and we, we had to learn everything. Mm -hmm. but it was, it was part of it was those two of us and with complementary skills and we just made survivable mistakes along the way. And then we we sold the business about five years ago as phone numbers sort of became obsolete. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm in that, so you, you know, so you ran this company for
1: 32 years, how, and also along with that, you know, um, technology changed. And so how did, how did you evolve the company along with the way that, that technology evolved in
0: the 80s and 90s and in the 2000s? Okay, this, the technological evolution was constant, mm-hmm. both on the computer and database side and the telephony side, how phone systems work, because we, yeah. we had a live call center. So when we started there were no hard drives in computers. It was like the, the, the data was on flop, one floppy disk and the program was on the other floppy disk. And uh, and I wrote the first database, which is laughable because it basically, I created a list. That's mm-hmm. how simple the database was. But then that, that eventually got to a point, the, the big breakthrough was mapping software where now we could do a search Um, and find you know and have our dentists listed on this on our own internal mapping software to refer them out so that and so that shifted then eventually telephones and computers became integrated and we just kept buying a new phone switch and adding components to it and it was phone switches just kept getting smarter and smarter so that we could you know, somebody could sit there and watch the, all, all of the operators in the room and see who's on every call for how long. And then, you know, that, OK, they're on the call for 10 minutes. They're on too long. You could just drop in and start listening mm-hmm. and say, OK, they've gone off the rails here. They're diagnosing the person's problems <laughs> and stuff like that. They need to get them to a dentist um, or you just listen and go. No, no, they're just taking care of somebody. Uh, Cause that was that, what we, we trained people is like, your job is to get them to a dentist, but to feel, make them feel attended to. Right. Um, and so, and then the, the, I always laugh because the last phone switch we bought was a million dollars. Two years later, you didn't need a phone switch. It all happened over the internet. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, that, that hurt. You know, so much for amortizing it over five years. Uh, But that's, you know, and then of course, then you could record everything. And we started recording early and it was just massive amounts of data, giant servers and stuff like that. And that just all got easier and easier and easier. Instead of sampling recordings, Mm -hmm. we just recorded everything. So all of that stuff, we just evolved with and we evolved with buying advertising on the internet. I mean, we we were doing radio and TV forever, but eventually by the end we were spending, spending half a million dollars a month buying Google clicks. Hmm. So we, we, we were in a constant transition mode. Uh, and also how we, we tracked the effectiveness of the advertising. We built all of that tracking system internally, uh, to see what ads were working. And we developed all of these internal, uh, algorithms to figure out if a spot was working better or worse and where it was working better or worse in which market yeah. and which shows and all of that stuff. So very involved business and tons of smart people working for me, which was great. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So what made you want
1: to move on to your next, uh, let's say adventure, starting your own, starting, well, the your own company that became more of a, a coaching type of, of setup. What was that like and why did you wanna do
0: that? So over the, the course of running 800 Dentist, I wrote a couple of books on dental practice marketing and they became very effective. As, they were like the best brochure we had ever created because we would just give them away and yeah. it would, it, it, as it was when, you know, this whole uh, generosity marketing that is, is the trend now, we were 12 years ahead of that trend with my first book. And then we jumped on with my second book. And that turned into a speaking career in the industry. And I got better and better at speaking because I had trained myself and, uh, you know, I had done improv comedy for the fun of it for several years. Uh, And I'd done stand-up for a little while, which was fun, but not a lifestyle I would have ever wanted. And uh, and took some acting classes because I was eventually in about half the commercials as the spokesperson for 800 Dentists, And so all of that propelled a really good acting career. And then I and then I just started coaching business people because we had just made so many mistakes along the way that we could help people with. I mean, we just made survivable mistakes. That was why we were still around. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a great learning process. And I became a student of business culture, customer service, and business leadership. I was mm-hmm. always learning. You can see the books behind me. People people who are listening can't see my bookcase, but I read. 30 or 40 books a year. And there's always a new business book that's that piques my interest. Sure. And at one point, I started to give uh, lectures to younger people, high school kids, uh, as part of this group a mentoring group. And one of the things I would teach them is that boldness is a superpower. Mm -hmm. And they would, and I would explain that, you know, when when you can turn your confidence into action, when you, the greatest gift you can give yourself is to develop your confidence and boldness, because doors will swing open the rest of your life, and you will be chasing your dreams and have a fulfilling life. And they said, that's really interesting. How do we do that? And so I was a very, very shy person growing up. I couldn't, Ask a girl on a date or ask a girl to dance. I couldn't even make a phone call. Somebody tried to give me a job in cold calling in a place where I was working. I couldn't make a single phone call. And so I said, I gotta fix this. And so I worked on myself for years because I thought boldness was like you were born with it. Because mm-hmm. I would see people that way. And then I gradually realized and I emulated what they were doing, even though it made me really uncomfortable because uh, I couldn't figure out why they didn't process rejection and things like that. And I was just mm-hmm. like, well, why? Well, so, but I'm going to just try it. And I, I expanded my confidence and boldness to the point where I can walk on a stage with 5,000 people and just be casual and entertaining and crazy. Um, and, you know, and the improv uh, comedy helped me a lot with that, but it took boldness to want to do improv comedy. But but all of these things informed me. And I said, I got to find figure out how I did it. And so that's what I created a systematic way that somebody could accelerate the process rapidly and have a systematic way to turn to when they were feeling underconfident and it was important. Like, it's like, okay, what do I, this is, I want this. And I, what what's holding me back? Most of it's stuff you tell yourself, right? Right. Um, but it's also, it's it's a lot of traumatic programming from early in life. And so I eventually wrote this book called Super Bold, mm-hmm. uh, and, which is a pathway from underconfidence to boldness and, and char- being charismatic even, in 90 days. And it's, and it's gives you tools that you can apply in any situation. And it gives you a whole bunch of exercises to do as well. A third of the book is the five levels of exercises to build your boldness muscle. So that this has become something I'm just incredibly passionate about. A lot of it is because high school kids and college kids were saying like, I'm going out into the world here. And I said, I want you to know at what I wish I knew at 20. Because it took me till I was 40. And I don't, you know, a lot of wasted time in there. Sure. Wonderful. So I
1: know the and the subject of your book is so I I mean, it's been timely for a very long time. But it just particularly now, if you look at what's happening in the the world, there's a lot of uncertainty, people are looking for new jobs, trying to make a lot of switches in in things and, and start new careers. And it's really easy to, you know, fall back and not, you know, be bold. So how do you, and I know it's outlined in your book, but how do you think about boldness? And you've mentioned some exercises, but if somebody wanted to just get a little bit better at, let's say, being bold, what are some easy steps they can do to help build up their self-confidence?
0: Yeah, that's, that's it's really good to to think about that because anybody can try this stuff and embedded in it are are all of the thoughts about how you build your boldness, which is the the first thing you could do is just, when you go out, walk around uh, and smile at everybody you meet, every smile at every single person with the intention of finding the person who's not gonna smile back and not taking it on personally, not, Saying, oh, there must be something wrong with me because mm-hmm. when you realize you're wrong about that, that what and whatever judgment people had about you is is either inaccurate or doesn't matter or shouldn't matter to you. It could be the worst day of their life that they right. or they have bad teeth. It doesn't have to be you, but what happens is nine out of ten people smile back, and you you say, wow, that's that was really easy, and you start to feel like the, the 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 joy fairy right <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna give little doses of joy to people as i walk around and this starts to build your confidence muscle your boldness muscle and then the the next thing that, that i recommend to everybody is talk to strangers talk to strangers wherever you go make a, never go to bed without having talked to at least one stranger in line at coffee, uh, in in an elevator, uh, you know, where, where in the grocery store, talk talk to, uh, you know, even the, the grocery clerk or or somebody in the store, just do it. Get so good at a spontaneous thing that that you don't that you don't feel any burden for for it to turn into anything. Because this this is one of the keys of, of doing that. Is when you do it without a hidden agenda, people open right up. There's a, there's a great study that was done on people who ride the New York subway, and they asked them, they said, "How many of you would be interested it in, would initiate a conversation on, on the subway?" And only 40 of them said 40 percent said they would. They said what how many of you would would be re- respond and be interested in a conversation that somebody else started 80 percent said mm-hmm. they would be interested so that's four to five people complete strangers that'll talk to you that's not what we tell ourselves we tell ourselves Oh, I'm, I'm not worthy to talk to people. I, they're not interested in me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm boring. I'm, I'm too short. I'm too tall, whatever. My hair is funny. Whatever the heck it is. We, got, we tell ourselves a million reasons why people aren't going to be interested in us. And actually, all you have to be is interested in other people. Mm-hmm. And, all, and and when you're talking to strangers, I just, it's, I do a, a, what I call throwaway compliments. I just I just look at them and say, you know, that, that uh, suit looks fantastic on you. I mean, it, you know, I don't know where you got it, but whoever, whoever tailored it for you, they, they knew what they were doing and, and that's it. And it's bec- be- And I'm done. And because I have no ulterior motive, I'm not trying to give them my business card and start to see if they want to sell their house. Cause I'm a real estate broker yeah. that they, they, they just open right up and, and, I've had it turn into a 15 minute conversation or a 5 minute exchange but I've also just walked away. And and it feels great and and once you do that you start to realize how to to bring this out in yourself how to have a start a simple conversation with people cuz you're going to find as you move through life that your ability to engage people And have them feel that you're interested in them and connecting with them. And that's the goal you're, if you have a hidden agenda it's to connect with somebody, Mm. that's it. And when, and when that's all you do, they feel it. And people gravitate towards that. Uh, and if, and if your goal is to make everyone you meet feel better about themselves, that's incredibly powerful. And, and you will feel, the difference in how you move through the world. And then of course, you're going you're gonna to do stuff to try to find out where you're stopping yourself because bold people never stop themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the really important. The rest of us, we're stopping ourselves. Nine times out of 10, it's us stopping us, not somebody else. Mm-hmm. So just one more exercise that, that is a boldness exercise. Whenever you see a sign that says employees only, go in just walk right in and and listen to the voice in your head that's going you can't go in there there's a sign knows what's going. nothing's gonna happen nobody's gonna beat you to death on the other side of that door nine times out of ten nobody's gonna say anything because you're you walked through the door the sign didn't stop you so you must belong there mm-hmm. and if somebody so somebody might say can i help you they might or they'll say uh i'm, I'm sorry this is for employees only Mm -hmm. And you can say something stupid, like I am an employee, just not here. I just took it as a general term. And they'll look at you like you're nuts and you leave, you know, none of it mattered, but you get to say, wow, I was really full of some nonsense about this. And now you start to apply it to all the other situations in your life that are more important. And you just say, why am I, why don't I just go? Why don't I just step up? Mm -hmm. And that's because that's what bold people do and 99% of the time something interesting happens and they're not even aiming necessarily for it, but they'll take whatever they'll take failure as just information. Everybody else takes failure as a reason to never try anything ever again. Mm -hmm. Bold people say, I've learned I've learned I bounced off that wall and that wall I guess it's this wall door number three. And that's that's all that happens to them. There's no personal recrimination no self-torture going on no panic and retreat into your shell and so that's what you want to do build that boldness muscle for when it matters mm-hmm. oh I so I, I love your example of, of walking through the employees
1: only sign um, because you're right it's just it's like it's testing our our limits and there's nothing what oftentimes we you know fall into these habits and everything else of just taking everything on face value and not kind of testing assumptions. And it's a great way, you're right, if you walk through it, the worst is gonna happen is someone will ask you to maybe not be there if they even, right, bring it up. But the fact that you see something and stop, that oftentimes could be like how you're uh, operating in your other, other parts of your life. Um, but with that, you've also brought up the idea of rejection and um, you know testing your fears in that way. How do you, so how do you think about rejection and how do you work through this idea of rejection and fear and either work with it or push past it or just, you know, sit with it?
0: It starts with understanding that very, very deep in our human primal coding is the need to fit in. Because if you didn't fit in 100 Thousand years ago, and were ostracized from the tribe. You were dead within a matter of days. So we we have a visceral reaction to not fitting in, and so rejection gets tied to that. And it and it and we decide to take it very personally, as if there there are no other opportunities, or as if everyone needs to like us, which is a really high bar, uh, and. And ridiculous, uh, but it's, it goes on and, and we take it all on. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. I am, I am not worthy. This is a great message to tell ourselves over and over again. But you know what bold people do? They do this thing where they say, I belong everywhere I am. Wherever I am, I belong here. And they act that way. And so everybody treats them that way. I, I've been in places where I'm the only person that doesn't belong in that room, room full of, of, of CEOs of these other businesses. And, and there's no reason why I should be in there, except I decided to walk in. Mm-hmm. And before I know it, they invite me to sit at dinner because I haven't told myself to leave. And somebody's and I, somebody says, Oh, well, I don't know if we're going to have enough seats. And I said, That's all right. I, you know, I'm 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 not technically a member anyway. And then they'll come back and say, you know what? A couple of people didn't show up. Why don't you sit down? Why? Because I didn't kick myself out. Yeah. And so, and, it, but it's the same thing as, you know, when somebody meets, sees somebody interesting at a party that they want to talk to, they start the un- unworthiness tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh she's probably got a boyfriend or he's probably married or or he's you know he's got five girlfriends he doesn't want to meet me what are they you know i'm i'm you know i'm not that interesting what we we got you remember oh this was the last time somebody wasn't interested in me it's going to be like that again bold people just walk up and start talking to them cuz they know two things one the person probably isn't a good fit for them As a lifetime mate because they only glanced at them Mm -hmm. and and they looked you know, they had interesting hair or or nice clothing or something like that. And so they don't, don't, there's no reason to take it on. It's, it's all just, I'm going to go out and find out. Yeah. And, and the, the, what they learned, which is, this is a great lesson to learn is trying is as satisfying as trying and succeeding. Hmm. The only thing that really grinds at you is not trying after that's you walk away just not feeling good about yourself but if you walk up and introduce yourself and they say you know excuse me uh, you know uh you know i'm i'm waiting for some other people or i'm waiting for my date or whatever the heck it is that they say or you you get two or three sentences in and they say well you know i'm 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 dating somebody uh that's great lucky her lucky him whatever But you walk away good feeling good because you took a swing, Mm -hmm. and then you start to say, the more swings I take at everything, the more I'm going to succeed if you're looking for a job, and and the first person that tries to hire you, that you go in and want to get hired by doesn't hire you, you can't stop looking for a job. <laughs> you got to, you got to say, what did I say in that interview that, that didn't work? And, and then when you start to say, I belong everywhere, mm-hmm. you walk into the interview with that kind of confidence. Cause people, people buy who they like, who they connect with by like, I mean, that they Feel that that person knows how to connect with people because you connected with them. Yeah. This goes all the way to raising money for your business. If, if you're, if there's a term in, in the investment world, they say, we, we bet on the jockey, not the horse. Mm. In other words, the business may be interesting, may be a great idea, but can this person pull it off? And and so you got to come out with so much confidence and boldness that you can execute this in the face of every challenge that's coming up that they want to give you their money. Yeah.
1: I so there's a few things you've brought up that I, I want to circle back to. And that is the ability to separate, let's say, the rejection from who you are, and being able to say that, you know, let's say it's the situation or my approach, or it's like it's creating this separate area where you were like i was testing this out and and for whatever reason if that interaction didn't work out maybe it's they don't like the way that i approach them or the interaction not me as an individual and i think that's really powerful to separate yourself and so it's not like they're not rejecting you as a in your life it's it's how that situation was set up but i'm i'm also curious so in those instances let's say you want to you know it could be business or personal how do you get out of your head and that initial? So you see someone across the room and maybe it's a CEO or even it's like an attractive person and you're like, I just want to go say hi to them. But then the longer you stop, the more you think about it and the more you're like, well, I'm just gonna waste their time because they're you know they don't want to talk to me. How do you get out of your head and not talk your, and not allow that to happen where you talk yourself out and think in circles around the situation
0: and then just act boldly instead? the question I I have people ask themselves is when they start to tell themselves these things, I say, ask yourself, is that the truth or my, Mm. or Dr. No's opinion. I call it Dr. No in your head. Is that an opinion? You're going to hear it. You don't have to use it as a foundation for your action. You can say, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That might be true. Mm. I'm going. Mm-hmm. And, and once you start to go, and, and one of the things I talk in the, the book about is controlling the, the intensity of the experience. I, I call it dosage, yeah. right? So you don't push yourself out so far into your discomfort zone that you you retreat back into your shell for a month. You work your way into more and more things. You walk through enough employees only doors, you realize nothing bad ever happens. <laughs> and you start to do other things where people talk to you, and, and you got to prepare yourself if you're going to walk over and, and say something to somebody, prepare something, Pre- and, and prepare something specific. Mm-hmm. That's not how you doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, that's not a question, technically, because it, it's a it's a it's a ping pong of, of non communication, when you start that stuff. So just th- but start with a compliment, start with a question start uh, with being really nice. A lot of people get get they get trapped in, Oh, I'm not going to be clever enough. I'm not going to be witty enough. I'm not going to be interesting enough. It's like, that's too much of a burden to put on the other person when you first meet them. Mm. Right? If you're incredibly clever, they they go, Oh, I I need a clever retort here. And I just met this person. What am I what am I going to say? How about, hey, I'm Yuri, I'd really like to meet you. Uh, okay, I'm I'm Ted. I'd I'd like to meet you too. What's going on with you, Yuri? And I said, uh, you you say you know I'm friends with a couple of people at this party, but uh, I'm really interested in, in wh- how you ended up here. How you know the host or the hostess? Mm-hmm. And then you just keep asking questions. When when this is the other thing people do, they have all these social interaction mistakes that they make. They they finally get a chance to talk, so they monologue right? They go on an unbroken because somebody finally talked to them. So they go on They feel like they got to like, they're a radio host, they got to fill every second with so there's no dead air. Instead of uh, saying that and you just stop yourself. I'm sorry, I'm really passionate about this. Tell me more about that trip to Rome that you went on. Go right back to them. Yeah. And that's one of the keys when they it, the other thing that we do is when somebody tells us something, we ask them something, they you know say, "Where's the most interesting place you went last year?" I love asking people that. It's a great open-ended question. And they'll start to tell you, and and they'll say, like, oh, I was in Florence, and it was amazing. Uh, and then what a lot of people do is they come back with, I was in Florence in such a in one year, and I you know, I got a private tour of the Uffizi and all, and, mm-hmm. and now you're playing top this. It's like, oh, yeah, you got a better story than me. I got a good story. Instead, you just say, really, tell me more about Florence. Tell me tell me what what you know what fascinated you the most, what you know, what surprised you? Mm-hmm. Just the tell me more gives you a chance to, to just be interested in them. And you may offer stuff back and forth, but always circle back to them. And, and stop yourself if you find yourself trying to be interesting, trying to overshare. Uh, Because that's what we do. If I'm just if I just bombard them with everything interesting about me, Mm -hmm. they'll find me interesting. Mm -hmm. No, they won't they'll find because the the most interesting person in the world you don't want to know their life story in the first encounter you're gonna you're gonna just say i i I need a drink i need to go to the bathroom i need to like i need a break um (laughs) i need to feel i he's making me feel less and less significant with every word he says i i don't i'm not enjoying the conversation Mm -hmm. yeah so (laughs) it's very powerful to to you know, it's, it's ancient. It goes back to how to win friends and influence people. It goes all the way back to Dale Carnegie. If you want to be interesting, be interested. It's, it's more true than ever in the world of social media, where everybody has a false persona out there and three avatars that are much more interesting than they are. When you're interested in somebody else, that's what's attractive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Love that. So with with
1: everything that you have experienced and done, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received?
0: Step up. Regardless of what you think might happen, step mm-hmm. up and roll with whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been in trying new jobs, meeting people, because you, you will stumble, you will bumble, you will embarrass yourself. You will say stupid, goofy things. And they, it won't matter because you'll say, I'm gonna get better at this. That's I shouldn't have said that. That's As soon as I wandered into that, they, I made an off-color joke and they, like I had no idea they were a Mormon, right? And I just, <laughs> right? And it's like, I need to, I need to like channel what, what I come up with. A, a little better mm-hmm. and and but this is how you get good at everything by being bad at it like we're, if if you were going to learn the violin you wouldn't stop after a week cuz it didn't sound good right. it doesn't sound good at all in a week but but nobody stops right they're expecting it but in, somehow in social interaction we're supposed to be perfect out of the gate and this perfectionism is is really what bogs people down Mm-hmm. And so every time you step up is, is a chance to get better, is to discover something unexpected. And once you develop that it, as, as your MO, it becomes your default mode because you say, this, the odds may even be against me, but 20% chance something really interesting could happen here. And I don't know what the heck that is. So I'm mm-hmm. going in. That's wonderful. Well, Fred, thank you so much
1: for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been absolutely phenomenal. If the listeners would like to buy your book or sign up for your coaching or just see
0: what you are up to these days, where are the best places they can go to do that? So Amazon is where you find my book and it's in hardcover and Kindle version and Audible version. And it's me reading the book. Uh, and you can also go to my website, fredjoyle.com, download the first chapter of it. Um, if you want me as a keynote speaker, obviously I do that. If you need me as an executive coach, if you got a business of a certain size, or you want me to come in and talk to your team and workshop them and make them bolder in a systematic way, I do that. Uh, also on the website, if, um, if you bought a Kindle or a, a, an Audible version of the book, you can go to my website and download the exercises. So you got a physical copy because the book is about doing stuff. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, this was a great read. Uh, <laughs> it's like, there will be insights that will change how you see your life and the world. But I want you to do this, to learn how to become bolder and bolder and realize that you can, people will see you a year from now as charismatic just because... You, you have been become so interested in people mm-hmm. that you walk into a room and you act like you belong there and people are drawn to that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going into the detail on it. And it's like just the website, Fred, fredjoyal.com, J-O-Y-A-L. Uh, and that's, that's where you can find it in Amazon. The book is super bold, it's not a book about the Super Bowl. A lot of people go like, you wrote a book about, what do you know about football? <laughs> Nothing. Um, it's not. So um, B-O-L-D, very important. Yeah.
1: Well, wonderful. And, and again, your passion for this subject shines through over and over again. And so if, if that's not even another reason to buy this book, in addition to what we talked about, then I'm not sure what is. But again, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Fred. I will put the links in the show notes so listeners can click right through. And they can follow you online and, and buy your book. And again, thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Yuri. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me, or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much, and have a great day.